Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. It's not often that you meet somebody who has emigrated twice from Europe into Canada and then from Canada into Australia. Had to start all over again and re-establish herself and her family in a new land twice. And she battles on. She's a wife, she's a mother, and she's also a CEO, or was, but she carries on the good fight. And tonight it's a privilege and an honor to have with us at Kingdom Stories from the Ananda, Anina Finding. Anina, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. My word, you've really traveled the world, haven't you? <laughs> yep, you learn a lot. Yeah. Initially, Holland or Germany? Germany. Germany. Yeah, so I was born in Germany and um, my parents both had to flee from uh, the Russians in World War Two. East Germany? Uh, yep, yeah. so my mom was in was Poland and my dad was um, just south of Frankfurt. Okay. Um, but yeah, there were aspects of war that affected both of them. And uh, so, yeah. As Where did they go? They, um, so my mom was in Poland. She actually grew up in a castle. And it was a pretty lonely and cold life up there. But the Russians came and they had to just 24 hours, they had to flee. Yeah. Um, and so they they both stayed then in West Germany. Uh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, so they had their challenges. And uh, yeah, I know that parents do the best that they can with uh, the lives that they were given. And sometimes trauma carries forward. Uh, so yeah. Siblings? My, yes. Uh, so I'm the youngest of four. Beautiful. So I had uh, older twins. So Boys or girls? Yes, yeah, so two older brothers, and I was uh, the youngest daughter. And apparently the story goes that because I came after twins, I just was flying out of my mom. And <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she was like, there was only a nurse at the time. I was just coming so quickly. And um, so the nurse was like, I, I can't, I'm not qualified to deliver a baby. And my mom was like, you're better than nothing. You stay here. She's coming. No and, choice. And... Uh, Apparently, yeah, the nurse ran to get a doctor, but I just came flying out. Was, you were keen. <laughs> I was pushy and impatient right from the beginning, so um, here I am. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I think this world needed you. You yes. probably knew that the world needs you, so. Well, like, yeah, I don't think there was a mold. I am a very unique person. <laughs> <laughs> they threw the mold. Yeah, yeah, if there was one. Yes. If there was one. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, your parents in Germany, tough, uh, mm. obviously resilient, a lot of grit, yeah. overcoming all the challenges after the war, rebuilding their yeah. lives. Yeah. Uh, so what were they doing? Were you, your parents? My dad was in upper levels of management in our family company, and so he was very consumed with work. And my mom was a socialite, and uh, I was kind of raised by nannies for the first six years. Uh, okay. My parents weren't around, uh, so there were abandonment issues from the early years, and... Um, so who were these nannies? Who knows? I don't even know. Do you um, remember? Just, um, I remember pictures with them and they were lovely people, but ultimately kids don't want stuff and they don't care how wealthy you are. They just want a loving family environment. But uh, yeah. What's your first memory of childhood? Uh, yeah, I just remember just talking about the nannies. I, I remember the picture of the nanny and... Um, uh, the bullying started early, so a challenging environment with uh, older brothers, and um, we had this little troop of uh, German kids that were bullies around the neighborhood, and um, so that was a challenge for my childhood growing up. It started really early, and uh, for me, the um, yeah, even after we then emigrated, so I was seven when we moved from Germany to Canada. And uh, so there was um, about 10 years altogether of uh, bullying and challenges uh, in the school environment. And so um, that was something for me to work through. Was it common? Mm, yeah. In that environment? Back then, there was no social awareness yeah. of, of bullying and teachers almost encouraged it. They just, yeah. Did you know at the time or you didn't? At the time, it was just normal life. 
yeah, as a kid, you don't know that. You just fight it, what other you people, carry on. Yeah, you just carry on and you just survival, really. And Have you had any eruptions in the sense, like, you know, fights and where you, you gave as well, <laughs> not just with you? <laughs> well, that's an interesting one because I am a survivor. Yeah. <laughs> I have a strong personality and you, you develop the resources for survival in life. And uh, there's a point after which you just go enough of this and you start to turn and you can kind of go from one extreme to the other. Uh, and you need God's grace to interrupt the broken cycles of life. And uh, so, yeah, the good that is in my life is because of God. But uh, yeah, I was a bit of a battler growing up. So um, I was seven when we moved over and uh, an amazing thing happened to my whole family. We all came to know God uh, within the span of one year. And because we weren't close, we all had our issues and each was surviving in their own way. Um, I was in Sunday school and uh, that uh, classic Revelations 3 passage, which is often not ideally meant for I evangelism. The door that one, yeah, yeah. It's uh, meant for churches. It worked. It worked. And so I was a kid, I was told, you know, Jesus is on the other side of the door and the handle's on your side. And I was like, oh, this poor guy, you know, it's rude to leave someone standing. And so I opened the door uh, at that time. I was eight, and uh, but it didn't really make much of a difference. Um, so uh, there was a lot of conflict in my home, trauma and affairs and, um, and the bullying at school. And by the time I was 16, I was a pretty angry young woman. And uh, combined with um, the, having an older sister who was quite a rebel and who was quite strongly disciplined by my father, I watched that and I thought, mm, you know, I don't want that. So I got to be a good girl to avoid that. And so I think but that's on the what, inside. Yeah. So I think that's what you call a passive aggressive because on the outside I was really compliant and I was a good girl and I learned to do perform well in school and have good grades and stay out of trouble. Uh, but underneath there was all this turmoil and uh, emotion building up. And uh, so, uh, but there were good memories too. Um, we had, um, a lot of outdoor activities we did as a family and yeah. um, this was Western Canada that I grew up and so we were close to the Rocky Mountains and we'd go downhill skiing and those were my best memories uh, in my childhood was the outdoor activities that we did together whether it was hiking or biking or skiing or um, and then in my teens I went horseback riding to this Christian camp uh, and it was actually at one of these camps that I had my first real encounter with God the, the door knocking opening experience wasn't much. It was just a polite invitation. It wasn't yeah. an actual experience. So when I was um, 16, I uh, was at this camp and there was this speaker this one night and he was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so I was like, wow, that sounds interesting. Give that a go. Um, and uh, he prayed over me and it was just this an amazing experience. I, uh, the only way I can describe it is like a Holy Spirit shower. It yeah. was just this intense uh, showering of emotion out and emotion in. And so I felt like God was washing all of this pain and anger and rejection and hurt and all that stuff, uh, abandonment out of me. And uh, instead he was filling me with the good stuff of his spirit, just things that I were completely foreign to me, just the love, joy, peace, the beautiful things of the Holy Spirit. and. And so they were teaching me about tongues and all that came. And so that really was my first real encounter with God. And at the end of that week, they used to give these awards to campers for the most changed camper. Yeah. And uh, I got the award because uh, well, I was, you, such you a, <laughs> was such an angry young woman when I came into camp. And at the end, you know, I was showing the fruit of the spirit. They're like, wow, this girl. It was that real. It that, was that, that huge. Yeah, that tangible and visible. And you knew it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was an unmistakable uh, encounter with God. And so I would say that was my real conversion, my real... And you were 16? 16 at the time. Yeah. So between, so your parents migrated to Canada because they wanted a better life for you, for the future? Yeah, so my dad had hit a crisis, a leadership crisis, and uh, he left the family company and uh, came to Canada to start a new life. Was it an escape in the sense from the pressure and stress? Yep, yeah, he was high up in the corporate world and in some ways I followed his footsteps and 
really did, he did him good hard worker, coming to Canada. driven and um, yeah, he had rural roots and uh, so he wanted a farm life and he bought a farm. Uh, oh, so you guys uh, moved to Canada on the farm? Uh, we lived in the city because my mom didn't want to live out on the farm, but uh, we went there every weekend and it was 480 acres. It was a huge prairie farm, no running water, electricity when we bought so it. So what was there? Um, not much, a little cabin in the woods and uh, in the winter. So what could you farm there? Uh, it was um, land that the my dad leased out for um, the neighbors to Pastures. have pasture, yep. And so he, um, yeah, it didn't have a lot of income. It was more like a hobby farm. Yeah. And uh, my dad uh, kind of used us as slave labor and uh, learned a lot of things, how to swing a hammer and <laughs> put up barbed wire fencing. And uh, yeah, there wasn't much time for play. It was hard work. Uh, and even we had this cottage in British Columbia that we'd go to in the summer. And yeah. even there, it was just this industrialness of Germans, you know, we just the hardly a spare moment. We would uh, plant trees and cart bucket loads of water from the lake to you know, water to the water trees. these trees, and it was there's a lot of work and industriousness. So yeah, I learned how to work hard and uh, muscles. Yeah, yeah. Respect trees and tough houses. Tough Yep, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there was good aspects of it. I loved built, to breed. Built the family together as well, the unity in the family. Oh. We were not close. There was a lot of conflict. Uh, there was six of us, each of us with uh, a strong opinion and. Um, my favorite world was reading so i would escape into the world of nancy drew and hardy boys and uh books were my uh world that uh, and three brothers sanctuary um sorry about my brothers what, what was their es escape uh, i don't know we outdoors just... plays games yeah sports. they loved um mark twain books and cowboys and indians that stuff in the earlier years and um, yeah, all of us love to read and uh, music was our big thing as a family. We didn't do uh, sports uh, and teams or anything like that. Classical music was a big thing. So yeah. we all had a classical instrument. So I played the piano and my brothers and my sister, they all had uh, violin, viola, cello, and they'd often play quartets and oh. they were in youth orchestras and I ended up um, studying uh, music therapy and playing piano in university. And Oh, yeah. so it was a, a central part of your life. Yeah, music was really something that um, bound us together when they made music. So were, were you in Vancouver? No, I grew up in Alberta, and Alberta. so this cabin that I speak of uh, was in British Columbia. It was a 13-hour drive from where we lived in Edmonton, Alberta. People don't realize how big Canada is. Yeah, very big country. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we love to go there in the summer, in the very short Canadian summer. Yeah, um, but two weeks. Yeah, so yeah, if you're lucky. <laughs> if it rains, you feel really ripped off. But uh, yeah, short summers, uh, lots of snow in winter. But yeah, skating, tobogganing, you do all the yeah. winter sports. Different, different. Cross-country ski. So what university did you go to? So I had wanted to uh, study music therapy in uh, university and the only degree program was in the eastern states and so I left, uh, actually in between there, um, at 17 I left home and never moved back again so I was always a pretty independent um, young woman. But you woman. stayed in town? Uh, no, I moved across, well at 17 I went with, to Youth with a Mission so oh. I actually studied uh, with YWAM and yeah. did a discipleship training school and I went back to Germany for that. Oh, and, nice. Uh, so spent a year in Germany with YWAM and on outreach to Africa. So um, you bilingual, strongly bilingual. Yeah. You didn't lose your German yeah, at all. Yeah, my parents kept it up, okay, so good. to speak. Yeah. Were you reading as well in German? Or yeah, so I can read, write, speak. Um, yeah, I prefer English. It's, yeah, yeah, I was seven when we moved to Canada, sure. so I'm more comfortable. But I'm still fluent and still when I speak to my mom, my dad's passed away a few years ago, but when I speak to my mom, it flows in and out of English and German. We don't even notice. And Beautiful. Yeah, so whichever word comes more quickly in terms of uh, either language. Or, yeah. So from YWAM, you came back to Canada. So then, uh, yeah, I went to Eastern Canada and studied music therapy, and that's where I met my husband. So after How far I, east? Uh, Ontario, so close to Toronto. Uh, okay. I studied in Waterloo, Kitchener, Waterloo, and yeah. he was from Cambridge. Um, okay. I'll so we around. met. Uh, we yes, I heard you in some of your other series uh, talking about different parts of Canada, and uh, yeah, so we met on a youth mission trip. 
So uh, not youth with a mission. This was a youth yes. mission trip. This was a uh, Christian organization that took university students uh, through um, different parts of Canada and uh, the U.S. And then I, my last trip, uh, my fourth one was um, to Panama, Central America. So we traveled together. Um, and and he's, he's German as well or Dutch? Yeah, he was born in Canada, but to German, German. family. So okay. his first language was German. Was that helpful? In your relationship, you think? Yeah, I think uh, marriages are challenging as they are. Cross-cultural marriages would be that much more challenging. So having that similarity, uh, he speaks German and not quite as fluently, but um, yeah, when we didn't want our kids to understand what we were saying about them, we talked in German to each other. And so you didn't let, teach your children German? Yes, they did learn uh, bits and pieces. And then in uh, high school, they studied German. So that was an easy language to study yeah. rather than French starting from scratch. So sure. <laughs> after a while, they were pleased that they could understand what we were saying about them. <laughs> so couldn't get away with it so much anymore. But uh, yeah, it's it's great having that common um, cultural background. So you're in Panama. Is that where you met him? or No, um, I came back from Panama and three months later. Uh, we got married after. That was my last trip. And then uh, we did How did one... that happen? Uh, you don't just get married yeah so we so you, by this you were in Waterloo now yeah doing university and where was he he was in Cambridge yeah so he graduated he's five years older and so he had graduated um, four years prior um, from University of Waterloo so you started he did engineering. seeing each other in that area yeah so we met yeah. through the missions group yeah. um, so that was great to have that common uh, not so only he cultural came to background, you he'd come to you on the weekends to see you or how did you how did the friendship we always had a long distance relationship and um, I, I had this phone night. calls um, yeah lots of phone calls and I had this naive prayer it was funny because I'd been on YWAM and so many um, Christian mission groups, one of the acronyms, the fun acronyms for why women, young women after men. Are, <laughs> I like that. I'm yeah, going to use it. Another one is youth without any money. So both are pretty true. Um, and uh, love YWAM. They're amazing. Yeah. Uh, still have such a heart for their ministry. Um, so uh, we had um, met, um, but had spent most of the time apart. But because I'd spent so much time uh, on ministry teams, it's inevitable. Like when you go to Bible college, you know, checking each other out. You know, you have this sure. tick list of who you're looking for and uh, kind of go, oh, he's got these and these pros and no, 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 the hair or, you know, whatever. The background can't, can't do that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't so make the list I, with my hair. <laughs> I, I, I had actually um, prayed that God help me to not be attracted to my future husband because I just want to be friends. I want to be myself. Yeah. And God answered that prayer and then some. Like we were really close friends for a long time. We were best friends. And still to this day, you know, I say to our well, I pray young that adult you'll kids, get attracted to your husband now. Well, it did happen, <laughs> trust me. But uh, I say to them, low, the best foundation for a great marriage is friendship you know yeah. uh, we're still best friends we're almost 30 years married now yeah uh, coming well up to done. 30 years um and we're still best friends that's and beautiful. and that's the best basis uh for a marriage we've always told our, our young people that and uh so the chemistry came but it took a little while and people were like what's wrong with you guys you know you have everything in common you've got the cultural background and yeah. you both love god and you've been on mission trips like what are you waiting for and uh yeah, but then God... How did he propose? Uh, that's a long story, but it was uh, a divine encounter where uh, I had known before he did that uh, this is the man God wanted me to marry. And, okay. and so I kind of held on to that um, word and um, prayed through that. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm like, God, what if he doesn't hear you? What if he's not listening? And so I had to trust God and trust him and let that go. And... Um, yeah, God uh, worked very miraculously. Harry's a deep man of faith, and uh, God answered his uh, prayer. His dad had said to him, the day I married your mother, I knew that's without a doubt what God wanted me to do. And he's like, I want that. I want to know through thick and thin, that's my insurance policy, yeah. that this is the woman I'm meant to be with. And uh, sure enough, God gave it to him in a really miraculous way, woke him up um, at night, and just gave him a scripture reference and he looked it up in the Psalms and it was even at night my heart instructs me and then the second night he woke up okay God if that was you he's got a bit of a Gideon spirit he puts the fleece out okay God if that was you tell me again and the next night God woke him up again and he flipped prior in Psalms and he guides the humble in what is right and instructs them in his way and yeah. here's a very humble man and and that was it you know yeah. it's that he knew that he knew that he knew that he had to find me and propose to me and 
I had gone south to Florida and reading week as Canadians do they uh, urgently look for warm weather and yeah. so he had to find me and it was just it was a crazy needle in the haystack search and he found me he went to Florida to chase yeah you. he didn't know where I was and it was yeah it was a crazy story but he found me the night before he drove, we drove. He, he, he flew but he we flew. had driven so okay. four of us girls for Lauderdale um, yeah, close to there. Um, so we just drove through the night as university students do. We take turns sleeping. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, We've done that. Yep, just 24 hours, just power through. Snow still on the car. Yeah, and it just gets warmer and warmer as <laughs> the further you drive south. And uh, So yeah, he found me in Florida. And it was an absolute miracle. And uh, he proposed uh, in front of my friends. And we had play-by-play pictures of all of it because it was just... A crazy supernatural uh, story that led. Did you just say yes, or you held him? Well, yeah, he was just ransom. rambling through of how God had worked in the last week miraculously to find me against all odds, and and then God told me to go to Florida, propose to Anina, and then and, I'm, and then I went right, and I'm like, wait, back up, what? <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, will you marry me? And I'm like, yeah, okay. And so then but, the hug kissed, and then he kept me? telling the story. <laughs> <laughs> So he pulled out the ring and even the way he found the ring and got time off work when nobody else could. And it was, yeah, it was a divine intervention and a, kind of a cool story. Beautiful. That yeah. is very, very uplifting. And yeah. Beautiful. So, yeah. And, then, and uh, then we were blessed. With, so you were married in a, what kind of church? Methodist church? Reform? We went to a Mennonite Brethren church, actually. Okay. And so uh, it was not the Amish Mennonite. It was because yeah, it was Eastern Canada, but it was the Mennonite Brethren, more contemporary. Um, denomination and um, both of you were in the same church yeah so then we got married and we've had quite an interesting background of a range of churches I grew up in a spirit-filled Anglican church so that was pretty cool yeah cool combination of the common book uh, church of uh, the prayer common book and um, and also the Holy Spirit and the charismatic elements in the Anglican church it was fascinating and uh and then we met in the Midnight Brethren Church, and then God had us go to Vineyard Church, and that's right when the Toronto Blessing hit. And so you were in a Vineyard Church in, in Canada? In Cambridge, and our outside of Toronto when okay. that happened. And so that was a worldwide phenomenon, and amazing you, things You happened. know that I pastored a Vineyard Church here in Perth, Churchlands. No, I didn't know you were pastor there. Cool. Yeah, you've okay. heard of Churchlands? Yes, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yes. So before I established Menorah, I was okay. part. Of, I was the executive there oh, for three you years. You might have said something about that. Yeah, cool. So we were part of the vineyard. Okay. I mean, they were yeah. part of the vineyard before. Yeah. Me, and I loved with my music therapy background and the music, yeah. the vineyard worship. This is long before <laughs> Hillsong, and yeah. I just bought every album, and I just oh, I lived and breathed uh, the vineyard worship music. I loved it. Great. Yeah. Wow, small world. Yeah, it is cool. So, um, yeah, that was pretty huge uh, experiencing that whole phenomenon when it hit being a vineyard church when that yeah. uh, people come from all over the world um, and then taking the spark home and experiencing God in similar ways um, all over the world in the way that they'd experienced uh, God in Toronto. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty eye-opening and uh, learned a lot about the power of God and not putting God in a box. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was three years at a vineyard church. And um, and then we felt called to travel. Hus- my husband and I love to travel. And so we spent 13 months going through 26 countries in the world. So we wow. backpacked uh, through 26 countries. And no done, kids at this stage. Not at that point. No, we've done two world trips in our lifetime. So the second one was when our kids were um, 12 and 14. And I had long service from work. Um, and we took four months to travel across four continents. And so yeah. we did it in a bit of a uh, more comfortable style. Um, back when Harry and I did it, it was just backpacking yeah. and uh, rough. Yeah, but just good. roughing it. Um, you know, we would just look enviously at restaurants and we'd just be eating, you know, in Rome and Italy. We'd just buy, you know, plain bread pizza yeah. from the stand, the vendors, and just, yeah, really, really basic rough backpacking. But through that, we came uh, through Australia and fell in love with it. And Harry had been to. Uh, Australia before then and knew that that was home and uh, was hoping that God would also confirm that call and sure enough then when we came through Australia we were like this this is it this is the end station to the bus stop where we want to get off and hopefully uh, finish up so towards the end of your trip you came to Australia yep so we traveled through and that's one of the 26 countries and um, just fell in love with Australia and then went back and immediately applied to immigrate Okay. Uh, and uh, they and had, you chose Perth? Uh, yes, chose Perth. Um, but Why we Perth? were denied the first time, so we're just so disappointed. Why Perth? 
Uh, just that, just connected with our soul. Uh, we just, it was... You had been in Sydney, Melbourne. Yeah, so we bought, as backpackers do, we bought a van and yeah. did it out with a van ah, and drove, drove across 16,000 yeah. kilometers with an old van that burned a liter of oil every 100 kilometers and you had to crank the seat and put the oil in and we just bottles of oil in the back of the van and that's how we drove across Australia. More oil than fuel, <laughs> yeah. almost. And uh, so, yeah, we got to know this country that we love, but Perth was it. It just hit home and... We've always really felt cold here. We've been here almost 20 years and this is it. The call is very strongly to Perth. Okay. So the first time you get knocked back. Yeah. So we applied to immigrate and we just felt this call so strongly. And Harry and I really prayed through every major life decision together and yeah. the unity and hearing God together is really important to us. And so we were just so unmistakably on the same page. We applied to immigrate and they had these immigration rules that um, within the last 12 months of travel, you have to have 13 months of work experience. And Harry had been an engineer for 10 years, so he had no shortage of work experience. But because we had traveled months. for 13 <laughs> yeah. months, we were that month short and yeah. they knocked us back. And we're like, bureaucracy, this is not right. We're cold there and we we're so disillusioned. We were just like, God, there is no plan B. And uh, so we were in Ontario at the time uh, where I'd studied in university and, and then this company headhunted him for working as an engineer in Alberta and uh, ironically back to where home. in the exact same city where my parents were from. And so I had moved away from home. I was this independent spirit that had launched into the world. I was never looking back and God said, come back here for a bit. And uh, so it was an amazing time, actually, uh, where we tried to say no to this headhunter and he just kept offering more money and it was just unmistakable. Like, okay, we got to go to Edmonton and what are the chances, man? This is the city where my parents are from. And so uh, we went back to uh, Edmonton and uh, did three years there. And then yeah. three years to the day, because he had told them, listen, I'm applying to immigrate. This is where we're going. We're going to Australia. Yeah. And they said, just give us a year and we really want you. And as long as you give us a year, you can go to Australia when you, whenever you want. So we gave him three years, and then on the day of being there three years, we applied to immigrate again, and then we got in the second time. But in the meantime, I reconnected with my parents, and God knew. Even the will of God has the timing of God sure. that is so key to it. And um, now looking back, we were so glad that God's timing was better than ours and yeah. uh, really um, bonded back in. There's a lot of healing between myself and my parents and my mom really helped me because my kids were a year and a half in age and they oh, were so pretty intense. They so, were born there. Yeah, so in Ontario before we left, um, I'd had my son and then my daughter was born in Alberta um, in that three-year time. And so because they were a year and a half, it was pretty intense and I'm not very domestic. And uh, so... Um, Having mom around was Yeah, good. she was great. So she really helped me out a lot. I really uh, got close to her and we've been close ever since. So there was a lot Beautiful. of healing in that time. And dad? Dad uh, softened a lot with age, uh, yeah. so he was a very authoritarian German when uh, we were young as a family, but he really experienced the grace of God later, and again, there was a lot of healing and reconciliation and a lot of grace in his life, um, and he passed away in 2016. Um, so yeah, um, at the end of his life, he said the words to me that every daughter longs for, you know, I'm just so proud of you, and I love you, and... And uh, so, yeah, it was it was a beautiful ending, a difficult beginning, but uh, a great ending. And um, so, yeah, those those years were really precious that uh, I spent with my parents in Alberta before we then flew to Perth, our beloved city. And we've been here ever since. Wow, that's amazing. What a yeah. journey. Yeah. What a journey. So then when we came here... Yeah. We thought, well, we'll both look for work in our respective fields. Harry was a bit over the whole uh, engineering thing, and I was chomping at the bit to explore, explore the professional world a little bit, and I had started in banking in Canada. Yes. So we're like, okay, we'll both put our resumes out there and see what nibbles we get on the fishing line first. Yeah. And so uh, I went in the yellow pages, as you did back then, before internet, and just looked up. You laid your fingers to the wall. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I tried different banks, and one of the big four snapped me up. Yeah. And uh, so I started as a relief teller, worked my way up through the ranks uh, in banking. And what uh, turned out from one year as a Mr. Mom uh, role exchange turned out into 18 years where God just kept, kept giving me opportunity after opportunity in the banking yeah. world and yeah. just promotion after promotion and doors kept opening and we'd keep checking in with each other. You still good to stay home? Yep. Yeah. I'm still good to keep working. Yep. It works. So and he stayed home with the kids. Yeah. And he did an amazing job. Oh, and wow. He was way more patient and <laughs> present and he invested 
it into them and our kids are amazing young adults that love God and they just have a fantastic work ethic and and deep godly character and um, yeah couldn't be more proud of them and and that's a lot of thanks to him and his parenting uh, yeah. he did a great job and so it worked well so if it ain't broken don't fix it was one that's of his right. sayings so we kept going and so I worked my way through the ranks in uh, banking and what church? Up. What church did you connect to here? So for 18 years we went to Mount Hawthorne Baptist Church, and so again you, you didn't go to a charismatic vineyard or anything extreme. Nope. No, nothing extreme. You no. settled back into a uh, yeah. you know, conservative church. Yeah, it was uh, not a very traditional Baptist church. They had really moved it and grown it to be yeah. uh, relaxed on the edges, so to speak. Um, and uh, so we really enjoyed that fellowship and that's where our kids um, got to know the Lord and um, my husband was an elder for I think 11 years and um, so we served in various aspects of leadership there and, and enjoyed that Wonderful. Um, while I was working my way up uh, through the corporate world and uh, through my background I had uh, back to the, the, the compliance and the performance bit uh, I had uh, learned to work really hard and the corporate world loves it when you're a performer, you know, yeah. a performance addict and Results. approval addict and you're just driven and you, they just spin the rat wheel faster and you're like, how fast can I run? How fast can I, how high can I climb? And I was determined to climb that ladder and, and I just kept working my way up through and and then uh, after five years of, as a bank manager, um, I was getting pretty exhausted and my kids were approaching high school and I was like, I'm spending such long hours away from home. This is crazy. I'm missing this narrow window of opportunity yeah. of really just making Connecting sure that I had bonding um, with my kids. And I was kind of praying um, for an avenue out. And um, I had been introduced to uh, the board of uh, Baptist Financial Services. I had introduced to, that's when I started being a director on not-for-profit boards. And while I was working in the bank, um, I was uh, working for the, the financial arm of the Baptist movement. Yes. So I started as a director on their board at a time when I had no idea what directors did and yeah. um, but I was flying out to Sydney every two months and balancing family and bank management and, and being learning how to be a director and um, but then the relationship manager for Western Australia part-time role and um, resigned um, or retired and I was like that's my ticket out of the corporate yeah. world and that's when I kind of then went into not-for-profit and uh, I just felt like the world completely slowed down and it was a great thing and never regretted it. it Two days a week or three days a week? It was four days a week, but nine till three. So and that was just so easy. I just you could have the kids couldn't right believe well, my luck. Almost. It was just so cruisy after, you know, really long days yeah. in management. And, and no pressure. You knew exactly. I mean, yeah, uh, I felt like a time warp. Like time slowed down. I felt like I was moving through quicksand. Things, quicksand <laughs> things moved so slowly in that environment. I was just like, wow, there's no rat wheel anymore more this is great so yeah that was really good and um, I really felt called to the not-for-profit sector since then and um, so I started serving on not-for-profit boards and um, and then uh, after doing working with them for almost seven years um, because it was part-time I was able to explore uh, more experience on boards and that's when I got introduced to the board of Esther Foundation yes so I started uh, in May 2019 I served on that board, I first got introduced to help them with their board governance, and yes. um, so that's how I got introduced. So, for those people who don't know what Esther Foundation does, can you briefly expand? So, uh, I, by nickname, I kind of called it a Christian YWAM, uh, YWAM rehab. So it is, <laughs> it's like YWAM because that was my background for young women, but it's a really intense environment where. Um, the official term for it is it's a recovery and reintegration program for young women from crisis backgrounds. So okay. they're in the process of getting their rehab accreditation, um, but it is uh, an empowerment program for young women to come out of addiction and trauma and abuse backgrounds to find God and through a holistic framework completely turn their lives around. So yeah. we had therapeutic services and uh, everyday programs and groups and workshops for them and work experience and educational training programs and average length of stay was 18 months to two years. Okay. And so it's for young women ages 14 to 38. And it is an incredible program. It really transforms lives. And yes. the, the young women's stories that you read on um, 
their website and whenever these young women share people are just mesmerized by the power of god and the transformed lives are just amazing the darkness to light the radical transformation is truly amazing and you went one step further than just being on the board so yeah there was um, a lot of work to be done it had been a real um uh, home-based uh, Christian ministry, um, yeah. kind of a home, yeah, it was started in uh, various houses in South Perth Como areas um, and then um, the government uh, helped support it and bought land, Department of Communities bought land for in Kalamunda for it then to become uh, a huge organization that really grew really quickly um, and it moved out to uh, a converted Catholic convent in Kalamunda yeah, and a uh, huge property and my husband's still a property manager there and it's a lot of work, yeah, uh, a huge property. And uh, it was an amazing project. We were kind of mom and dad there for a while. And so you became the CEO. Yeah, so when it was uh, realized how much work it took to then uh, professionalize everything from a home-based uh, ministry to yeah. more of a uh, professional ministry structure with all the back Don't end call it an institution. meeting policies and procedures and we were starting to get federal funding yeah. you just have to have all the compliance and regulatory framework for that and because I had a corporate background I was able to set Put that, that up place. and so I spent a really intensive year and a half as a CEO to bring in all the back end and professional systems and um, Microsoft Office Suite and we had an operations manager that did that and I'm really proud of where we got it in a really short time yeah so who who filled your shoes at the moment so there is there is uh, it's a uh, current transition uh, someone else is being appointed we don't know yet that hasn't okay. been announced yeah. so I had a second in charge there who's an interim um, leader at the moment yeah so um, yeah that was less than two weeks ago I was just gonna say is Colossal still going on they had a ministry called Colossal or in the Subiaco or was that not part of Esther House nope not Esther House no um, they were creative uh, doing oh, some graphic works yeah, and videos. Yeah, they might have assisted with the original website and okay. then we had other... Yeah, okay. No. Um, I thought some of the girls from there actually ministered at Colossal. Oh, Amazing okay. testimony uh, yeah. with with Esther House because there's so much going on and mm. we've got a few homes, houses here in Perth for both men and women. Yeah. And everyone knows Esther House. Yeah, it started out as, as Esther House and... Um, now it's Esther Foundation, but yeah. it was, uh, yeah, there's a lot of a sentimental attachment in calling it still known to many as Esther House. Were you emotionally attached to that ministry as well? Yeah, it was really, it grows on you, really it? hard. Yeah, it really grows on you. The girls grow on you, and it was really hard to see that season come to a very quick close. Was it your choice? It was a combination of things, um, but yeah, it just became quite apparent that my season, my investment was coming to a close. Are you a settler or are you more of a pioneer? Yeah, I'm a pioneer. I'd have to say that God has gifted me with courage to go into difficult uh, entrepreneurial places. And okay. it was really difficult. It was a really challenging year and a half. And anyone that works in with trauma recovery and rehab work and knows that it's a very intense ministry environment. Because uh, so I think the policy side wouldn't have been difficult for you doing it in, in the office. But it was more the interaction with the peers and also, you know, with the board and in, with the staff yeah. and with the girls. Yeah. That would have been a massive challenge, wouldn't it? Was it was so multifaceted, you know, and that's why I did feel really uniquely called there for that season in terms of the combination of uh, business and corporate where you needed to professionalize things, but also pastoral and spiritual. It was kind of a jack-of-all-trades in terms of pastoring yeah. and mothering and doing spiritual nourishing and transformational work at the same time as doing compliance and policies and procedure oversight and yeah it was a pretty challenging what scope. has it done in you ah oh, yeah that's a really interesting question I think because uh, the finishing season was so recent I think I'm still processing what it's done in me i think it's softened me i think it's humbled me a lot in just seeing the work of god through brokenness and uh you know it's really humbling when you've got a resume that you keep climbing 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 and then all of a sudden you have this um 
uh, quick uh, finish that you weren't expecting and, and you really have to see a new reliance on, again, on faith and not on your own performance. And so God rattled uh, my cage a little bit and not leaning on my own strength and my own capabilities and performance, but really um, looking deep to his purpose and seeing faith in amongst the brokenness where you don't always have all the answers and yeah. letting him use brokenness in a way that he shines differently through than strength. And yeah. um, so that's a season I'm still working through. Mm. What surprised you? In, in this year and a half in in because i mean i i can't even call it a job i think it's a ministry mm-hmm. surely the salary wasn't to the level of your no of course CV. You know, no money can pay for <laughs> can compensate for the challenges you go through there's any job that would have paid better and would have been much easier um so you don't do it for the money you do it for the calling and i yeah definitely felt cold and my husband also felt cold and it was a real privilege to be able to do that together because it's such an intense world you can't describe it to someone on the outside no. you just it's another world uh, it is a whole nother world it is like a cross-cultural ministry i was telling churches you know if you can't go overseas during covid just go to calamunda it is a cross-cultural <laughs> ministry it is a even really on the streets yeah it is uh yeah intense and um so i think something that i've learned through that is just the urgent need for discernment in spiritual ministry and how i would define discernment through what i've learned rather than just a textbook uh, answer is that the radar in your gut that just is not something that you understand it's uh, a really deep intuition intuition yeah and i would um just when uh in the last month when a lot of things were beyond my own understanding proverbs 3 5 and 6 just spoke to me in a totally different way where don't lean on your own understanding and i would actually say discernment is the difference between trusting in your understanding and trusting in your rational common sense versus trusting your gut and one of my favorite authors is Joyce Meyer and you know the battlefield (laughs) of the mind right and that's where the attack is that's where the battle is is in the mind and so that is a tough battlefield to navigate whereas your spirit is that core part of you that's reserved only for God's spirit right as children of God only God's spirit can inhabit that but it is so tricky to tune into that it's that gentle whisper sometimes and you'd love it if it came as a storm but it's like that gentle whisper that you really have to work hard to maintain that intimacy god with god to tune into that quiet whisper and so just maintaining my intimacy with god through that time of ministry was really really important and just uh one of my biggest lessons that i've learned through this season is there's just the important need for spiritual leaders to use discernment in ministry and not lean on your own understanding there will be crucial intersections in your ministry where everything will seem rational and your mind will be screaming this is logical what is your problem and your gut or else it's a unity thing between you and your spouse or there's not quite the unity between you and your leadership team something's just a bit off and there's that radar in your gut that's just going wait don't Something's not quite right. Discerning in the spirit for leaders. I it mean, is so, so powerful. It is so In fact, tough. you sometimes think, how else can you be a spiritual leader without discerning in the spirit? And I think we're coming into a time, you know, I, I think we're heading into really intense spiritual days where, you know, even the elect will be deceived if that is possible. Yeah. Like You, you need... will be tested. It's not like... You want. You and will. we know the enemy has a mandate for yeah. Christian leaders and churches. And if yeah. you do not discern carefully and maintain unity in your leadership team carefully, yeah. let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. These are challenging yeah. times. And yeah. discernment, uh, that Hebrews 5.14 has just been ringing in my spirit. Solid food is for the mature who by yes. reason of use and practice have had their senses trained to discern good and evil. And... That's why elders need to be older elders sometimes because it's only by reason of use and that practicing through life 
I thought that was God and oh I screwed up that wasn't quite right and yeah. that one was God and it didn't make any sense but that rung true and yes God that was you and you you learn it's like recognizing your friend or some loved one over the phone listening to God's voice can be so tricky to hear and that's one of the first things they teach in YWAM they get you to read Lauren Cunningham's is that really you God right yeah. learning to listen to the voice of God and and discerning that and that's where marriages are so key that Harry and I never do a decision or move forward without unity that yeah. just praying together is one of the biggest blessings in a marriage you can have is yeah. checking for unity on that front and yeah. for leadership teams if you don't have unity don't proceed if you have that check in your spirit wait until you have complete peace and that release that's wow. so key that's powerful what's next for Anina? Well, I think, uh, yeah, as I updated my LinkedIn profile, I am going back to why I was called uh, to the Esther Foundation profile to start <laughs> with. Now you can see Nathaniel searched your LinkedIn profile. That, uh, are you in a pro? Uh, are you in a professional? It tells you when, you, tell it tells it you when someone searched your profile. I'm not when you go but um, yeah, I think I have a passion for governance. And it sounds like one of these really boring things when I tell people that I serve on boards. You can just almost see the yawn on their face. It's it because just, they haven't done it. Most yeah, people it's, haven't. it's a very specific Yeah, and calling. they don't understand. It's because they think, oh, why would you go for those three, four hour meetings, meetings in the middle of the evening? How boring is that? And, and then drink coffee and then yeah. eat headaches and And when concerns. you talk about governance, governance just sounds so dreary and constitutions just sound like dry beef jerky that you eat on a survival trip only when you're absolutely on death's door, you know? These are all kind of like dry topics, but for me, just through some of my learning lessons of the last uh, 10 years serving on boards, it's just that the governance is so important for directors to yeah. get right and that the charity sector needs a lot of training um, to make sure that those that are kind-hearted and compassionate and mission-driven also have that understanding of you know, understanding the governance aspect of the rules under which you operate and, um, yeah, leading well, leading diligently, uh, that's kind of a passion of mine. So where I can serve and perhaps do some consulting for boards to make sure that charities really have strong back ends to um, strengthen their mission and purpose on the front end. That's, that's beautiful. Passion. Mm. That's your passion. Yeah. Is there your legacy that you're building as well? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was watching your uh, podcasts and uh, after I was watching you ask that of others, I thought, wow, what is the legacy that I would say? And I, I would say, you know, the title of the book hasn't been determined yet. Not, not that <laughs> anyone would write a book, but, you know, figuratively speaking, uh, it's still got a few more chapters in me. So I think the current chapter that I'm on would read um, Leaders needing to discern and boards needing to govern well and uh so that's my current legacy that i'm working on i think we're going to call this podcast uh discerning leadership yeah that's it that's a good one discerning, discerning leadership. leadership yeah initially i was going to say descending in the spirit but then you know the leadership discernment came in and um, the diligence came in mm. and i think uh you know leadership and discernment they, they just go so so well yeah and so well hearing together. the voice of god someone was encouraging us yesterday as a married couple as long as i've known you and harry you guys listen to the voice of god you seek him at every key decision and discerning the voice of god yeah. and bringing that into leadership to discern and listen well that's what it's I'm massive doing. noise out there isn't it we need yeah. noise cancelling Headphones. <laughs> headphones of some <laughs> to sort. Put them on to block out the noise and. Uh, uh, when people ask me that, you know what I say to them? I say you're not gonna hear God's voice in the middle of the day or in you know, mm. you're probably only gonna hear it in the middle of the night when when yeah. He wakes you up at four o'clock in the morning or three o'clock yeah. in the morning. Don't turn on the other side. Just get up. Yeah. Get listen. on your knees and listen because. Yeah. He's got you then, and, and it you've takes got it. Discipline to yeah. really press through and. It's intimacy. Block out the noise. It's intimacy. To keep cultivating that. There's just so many things that compete for our time and notifications dinging at you all the yeah. time and turning off the electronics and really trying to hear and listen and, and go deep in scripture to, to hear and, yeah. and discern. Beyond it's interesting just, because even with uh, phones, they believe that adults are worse when it comes to phones than teenagers. Everybody you know, says that teenagers have problems with their phones. 
It's their parents, apparently, who have more of an issue. The addiction is real, Nathaniel. The addiction to those numbers increasing. You're telling me ding, it's ding, like, ding. why is, why, why are my fans? I'm looking at you, man. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, shaking in any fa- <laughs> shape or form. Because normally, yeah. you know, you can't sit here for an hour and not get notifications. I know, you're thinking, what's going on over it's there? Like, I you need know, to check my activity. Dopamine. How many please, likes please. does this podcast yeah. have? <laughs> yeah, I know, it is addictive. But it's the world we live in, yeah. and we can use it for good. As with yeah. anything, any tool, you can use it for good. But it can be really distracting. So honing back in and listening to God. Biggest shock of your life. Biggest shock. Of your life. What, what really shocked you in your life? Wow, there's a curveball. I've had quite a few. I think even just immigrating is such a shock, the cultural shock. And uh, so those were early year shocks. Um, getting married is a shock. Having kids <laughs> is a shock. Uh, going from corporate into not-for-profit is a shock. <laughs> yeah, one after the other. And you develop resilience through such it. Such a shocking life. It is. <laughs> yeah. Proudest moment. Proudest moment for you. Proudest moment. Yeah, I'd have to say giving birth to my kids. Uh, you know, back when I was climbing the corporate ladder and I was getting, you know, that passion for um, success and all that, my mom said to me, um, the biggest uh, thrill you can experience as a woman is to, to give, if you're blessed uh, to be able to have a child, naturally, um, the biggest thrill is becoming a mom. And I was like, old school you know like I, I kind yeah. of you know uh, thought that was you know it's for domestic women but I'd have to say in looking back overall um my learnings and experiences um my kids are my biggest pride and uh, doing it together with my husband uh, it's the proudest moment is seeing the godly people they're becoming I think um it's one of the greatest gifts that we have as humans procreation I mean mm-hmm. you think about we partner with God in something that is so unique and to making more people it is it's, it's just making them godly people yeah, anyone can procreate responsible and stick them with junk uh, food responsibility in front, yeah stick them with junk food in front of a television anyone yeah. can do that yeah. but to really raise them up in the ways of the lord to have godly character yeah. who you are when no one is watching and yeah. to really deeply love the lord to walk with him that is the ultimate challenge and um, yeah, uh, that's been our biggest joy in seeing our kids really personalize their faith and walk with the Lord for themselves. That's a great joy. Thank you so much. Really, yeah. really value you and appreciate you coming to the show on such short notice and yeah. just telling us who you are and what the Lord has done in your life. Really, really beautiful. Thanks. And uh, yeah, discernment in leadership. Imagine that. Imagine if we had more and more discernment in our lives in the way we make decisions, in the way we lead our families, our children. Amazing if, uh, wouldn't that be amazing if we had more and more awareness of what's going on and what God wants us to do and how to act and how to behave and what attitudes to have. Well, I really pray that um, the story inspires you and helps you tap more into what God is saying to you so you can be uh, assisted along the path in the Holy Spirit to make the best decisions and have that discernment. I'm sure you love this content and uh, we'd, we'd love if you uh, rate us on um, the platforms that you're watching it and or you're listening to this, wherever you're consuming this content, uh, share it with other people and uh, yeah, come back next week. We're going to have new people every week at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.